Good morning. This is the time of uh, our service where we read scripture. Today we'll be reading from the Old Testament in Jeremiah. Um, I'm a visual learner, and one year I heard a sermon on this very passage, and on the stage was a potter, and he was an artist, obviously, and he would, he would build up this, as the preacher was speaking, he would build up this clay pot. It was beautiful, but there was something wrong, and he would crush it down. And so I just, when I read this scripture, I always think about that. It's a vision I won't forget, and um, it helps me when I read the words of the Lord. So this comes from Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 6. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his will. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel." This is the word of the Lord, and it is absolutely true, and it's always given to us in love. Well, good morning again. I'm still getting used to this thing. My son just asked me there, what is that on your ear? I said, it's a microphone. He said, where does it lead? (laughs) It's magic. Um, I love that image that Diane gave us, and I I really do wish we had a potter's wheel over here now, Um, but I love that it's in our imaginations now, and we can kind of think about that um, as we go through this passage together. Um, Just as a reminder, the last three weeks, and I guess for the next three weeks, this is, I think, the middle sermon in this series, we're talking about um, the dimensions of God, which is another way of saying the character of God. We're looking at these different aspects of who he is. And the reason we're doing that is because, uh, like I think we said in a confession a few weeks ago, we sometimes have very small thoughts about who God is. Um, We can, for lots of different reasons, get into a rut of thinking about him in a very small way. And so we wanted over these weeks to expand that. And of course, seven weeks is uh, just a tiny drop in the bucket of what that means. But each week we're looking at a, a different specific attribute or dimension of God. So we, we started out talking about God as a father to us, um, how he fathers us, and then um, God as a host, how he's always gathering people to himself um, and building community. And then last week, John talked about God as gardener, how he's cultivating and growing things all the time. And this morning, we're talking about God as artist. And I was really excited to be able to do this because it's something that I, I, talk, I think about a lot. Um, and It's key kind of to who I am and the way that God made me. But I also want to make note of something right up front. Because over the years, I've heard so many people tell me, I'm just not a creative person. Um, In a room this size, I'm sure probably there are a lot of you that have said that to someone in the past. Um, And I want to be clear, first off, that this isn't a sermon that's sort of tailored toward artists. It's, um, It's a... It's really focused on how God is an artist and how we can grow in our love and understanding of him as we, as we understand that. But I also want to take a minute to just push back on that idea that you're not creative. Because I have actually experienced many uh, of your 
examples of creativity. I've, um, I've been in your warm and welcoming houses. I've sat at lunch with you as you've described to me creative ways that you've solved problems in your work. I've eaten meals that you've cooked with care. I've watched you clean at Hope Academy with an eye to detail. I've watched you get down on your knees and play with kids here before services. I believe you're actually much more creative than you give yourselves credit for. But besides all that, the reason why I know that it's true uh, that you are a creative person is because one of the fundamental teachings of the Bible is that you were made in the image of God. And God is infinitely creative in in all sorts of ways uh, that we see and things that we don't even see. And so that's how I know for certain that you are a creative person. And so I hope that as we move through this passage, that you'll keep an open mind to it. Don't check out because you you don't call yourself creative. So uh, we're going to look at three things in this passage uh, as we walk through it. It's an invitation, a reality, and a future. Let me pray for us and we'll start. Lord, thank you uh, just for this passage, um, for this story and image that you give us. Lord, would you, um, as we look at it, help us to have a, a big view of who you are. I pray that it would not only help us to, to, to understand at a head level who you are, but that it would engage us and um, call us to respond to you and worship um, for who you are. Amen. So the first glimpse that we get um, in this passage of God as an artist is one that we could actually miss pretty easily if we don't pay attention. I did when I first started reading through this. Um, before we get to the potter's house, before we start to talk about the clay that's in his hands, um, we first see a creative invitation to Jeremiah from God uh, to look and see. The text says, go to the potter's house, and when you get there, I'll tell you what I have to say. So Jeremiah was a prophet, and uh, a prophet is a person that's chosen, to, chosen by God to speak to the people on God's behalf. Um, or to put it another way, Jeremiah's calling was to help people see things correctly. Not just the way they are, but also the way that they can and will be. Um, an aspect of Jeremiah's ministry was helping to stir the imagination of anyone who would listen. John talked about the imagination at length last Sunday, and I encourage you, if you didn't hear it, to go back and listen to that. And in some ways, though we didn't plan it that way, this is a continuation of a lot of those ideas. This task of stirring the imagination is like has become kind of a way that I think about the role of artists in the world. Um, Frederick Buechner says that art tells us to pay attention, to put everything to the side and be alive. Good art has this ability, I think a unique ability, to kind of put a frame around an experience or a moment. Sometimes it does that literally, and other times it's not a literal frame. Emily, our friend, an artist, a writer right here in our church community, she puts it this way. Artists pull back the covering on our inner life, allowing us to see things beneath the surface that we might have missed. I love that. I experienced this firsthand a couple of years ago. Um, I'd been reading uh, from one of Christian Wyman's books, and this one poem in it really captured, um, captured me. It's called From a Window. And uh, to give you a little context, before he wrote this book, 
he had been like recently before that diagnosed with this incurable um, type of brain cancer. And so a lot of the themes in this book and all the ones after it are about grief and loss and life purpose and hope and all these things. So that's where this poem starts as well. And I want to read it to you. This is not something that you do uh, most Sundays here, but since I get to preach on this topic, I get a little leeway, I think. Uh, I want to read this to you, and I'm going to put it up here as well so you can uh, so you can see it. It goes like this. It's called From a Window. <laughs> Incurable and unbelieving in any truth but the truth of grieving. I saw a tree inside a tree rise kaleidoscopically as if the leaves had livelier ghosts. I pressed my face as close to the pain as I could get to watch that fitful, fluent spirit that seemed a single being undefined or countless beings of one mind haul its strange cohesion beyond the limits of my vision over the house heavenwards. Of course, I knew those leaves were birds. Of course, that old tree stood exactly as it had and would, but why should it seem fuller now? And though a man's mind might endow even a tree with some excess of life to which a man seems witness, that life is not the life of men. And that is where the joy came in. What Christian Wyman does here is important as we consider that part of God's character is, uh, is an artist. He brings attention to a fairly ordinary event. It's just a scene of birds flying out of a tree. It's something that we could easily miss. I'm sure I've seen this dozens of times throughout my life and maybe not even realized it. But the artist tells us to pay attention and think about the poem's uh, description, its progression. First, it's a tree that's dividing and rising out of a tree. And then we realize that what he's describing is this group of birds. And then in their absence, something remains, this sort of mysterious sense that somehow... God's life is in the life of his creation. And that, the poet says, is where the joy comes in. So just a few days after reading this poem, I'm working in the backyard. Um, I wasn't necessarily thinking of the poem at this time, but it had kind of been on my mind. And this very thing happens. This group of birds starts fluttering and shimmering, flies out of the tree. And it happened like three or four times in a row. They actually came back to the tree and then did it again. And it's something that I really think I would have totally missed, not even paid attention to, if it hadn't been for that poem that was kind of in my mind. So artists have this I, I, ability, I think, to inject life or at least call our attention to life that's in the things around us. Eugene Peterson, I love the way he says this. He says, the great masters of the imagination do not make things up out of thin air. They direct our attention to what is right before our eyes. For faith is not a leap out of the everyday, but a plunge into its depths. So, what does this have to do with our passage? Well, we know that God wants to tell Jeremiah something. That's their relationship. God speaks things to him, and he speaks them to people. But instead of just speaking it to him directly, which he does lots of times, that's probably more the norm, but in this instance, um, he does it differently. He invites Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house and to watch. So we see this, uh, this invitation from God the artist open the eyes of his prophet Jeremiah and us as well to see things that he might otherwise miss. 
This is also, I think, one of the reasons that Jesus all the time is teaching in parables with stories. Um, He does it throughout his ministry. This is the reason why I think the Israelites in the Old Testament are storytellers. They're always telling stories about how God was working in their history. Um, It's also the reason why I think the Psalms are filled with um, forms that are poetry and songs. They use vivid language. God engages us this way because it's part of who he is. So uh, that's the first idea, that that God gives us this invitation. Um, A little application on this before we move on. The invitation, um, another way that it's put in, in the Psalms, is taste and see that the Lord is good. And so are we doing this? Are you doing this? Are, how are you opening your eyes to see, yes, truth and goodness, but also beauty in your life? When you read picture books to your kids, when you watch a movie on Netflix, when you hear a song that cap- captures your attention, maybe this week just pause for a minute. Take it in. Could it be that God is um, stirring something in you? An invitation to see beneath the surface. God is all the time giving us glimpses into his kingdom right in the here and now of our lives. And the challenge is for us to open our eyes to see that. And when we do see it, when we do hear something and say, that's beautiful, you're participating in art because you are celebrating the creator for for what he's done, for his work. When you open your eyes to see reality in all these unexpected ways that God might reveal it, you're acknowledging his work. That's a beautiful thing. We get to participate in that every day. So God extends to us this invitation to see. And what he invites us to see is a reality. As I mentioned before, Jeremiah is a prophet. And God's task through Jeremiah um, could be sort of summed up like this. How can I get these people to take me seriously right, right now, right in the here and now? How can I get them to see that I'm working How can I get them to see these continuities between what I did in the past with um, Abraham and Moses and David and what I'm doing now with them? How can I get them out of sort of their small egos and into my will and path? This is Jeremiah's lifelong task, is bringing these ideas and questions before God's people. And so God invites Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house and watch. And what is it that he's being invited to see? Let's continue on in the text. This is verse 3, and this is in Jeremiah's voice here. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good for the potter to do. So there's a few things here that I want us to notice. First, let's think about pottery uh, as an art form, because that helps us to understand what God is teaching Jeremiah here. Um, It's been observed lots of times that pottery is this um, medium which is almost equal parts useful and beautiful. Especially in Jeremiah's day, a a potter was actually very central to a town's culture. Even physically, the, the potter's house uh, would have been in the middle of the town, and I was reading that it might have been a pretty big um, like big area. We think of a potter's house maybe as a little hut, but it was such a big part of the culture that they would have been producing lots of things, and they had a big um, kiln where they fired things, and uh, the wheels were 
interestingly almost the same as what are used now. It's been it's a very old tradition that's um, that's remained fairly similar uh, now to where it was then. Um, and everyone in the town would have been using the things that the potter made. It would have been in their homes. Uh, the containers and bowls were used all the time on a regular basis. So the potter's work, it's very useful, right? But unlike the things that we buy and use, that we buy you know, at Target or Ikea or something like this, every one of these bowls or plates or containers were unique because they were made up of a, a particular kind of clay and the, the specific vision of the potter, the pressure that he, that he or she used to, to create the shape, the specific glaze and way it was fired. All these things, they were functionally necessary, right? They were used on a daily basis, but they were also artistic and elegant at the same time. And there was no sense that those two things could be separated, really. They were just one and the same. And Eugene Peterson helps us to understand how Jeremiah, he would have known this context. And so he would have been able to understand what God was communicating to him. He says this, Jeremiah's imagination went to work as he stood before this potter. He had seen potters at work all his life, but today he saw something else. He saw God at work, making a people for his glory. Necessary, but not only necessary, each one also beautiful. And beautiful, but not only beautiful, each one also necessary. There is no human being who is not useful with a part to play in what God is doing. And there's no human being who is not unique with special lines and colors and forms distinct from anyone else. So Jeremiah watches this potter at work, and he has an understanding of how God is shaping people for his purposes. And so a couple of questions before we move on. I wonder if one of these ideas, the useful and the beautiful, is easier for you to embrace. How do you feel about God creating you with a part to play in the life of his kingdom? How do you feel about God utterly delighting in you as a skillful artist would appreciate the beauty of what they've made? I would guess that we all kind of lean toward one of those being a more comfortable idea than the other. I think for me, I, I'm great with usefulness, being put to work, you know, put me in coach, I'm ready to, to get some work done. The idea of being delighted in uh, as a work of art is a different story. That's a difficult um, thing to just receive. And so that's a good question. I'd love for you just to jot that down and maybe um, come back to it this afternoon or sometime this week. But I think part of the, the challenge for us as we read this passage is to allow it to push us to grow in these, in these spaces. Um, embracing our usefulness or beauty. So the next thing that happens here in this scene is that the pot is spoiled. And I think this is familiar to all of us, this idea. Um, we are men and women and children with imperfections. We are the clay that sometimes resists the hands of the potter. Uh, we know how this feels within us, and we're affected by it as it happens around us and to us. Jeremiah had other words for it. He called it sin, rebellion, self-will, wandering. But he maybe never had such a striking image for it. And the image, of course, is this bowl or a pitcher or cup turning out badly. 
the side folds in, the a hole forms. And as we think about this scene, it kind of draws us in to wonder what the potter will do next. Will he throw away the clay and start over with a new piece? Will he sort of get frustrated and kick the wheel and walk away and come back later when he's cooled down? No, the beautiful thing about this passage is that there is this patience and perseverance that we see in the potter's work that gives us a glimpse into this dimension of God's character. Instead of throwing away what is spoiled, he skillfully and patiently starts the work over again. One of the things that sticks out to me here is this relational aspect of the potter and the clay. I think somewhere deep inside me, I I do carry a conception uh, that God is the potter. His way of working with clay is to just force it to be what it needs to be. He's powerful and he's sovereign and what he wants to happen, he will make happen. And those things are true. He is powerful and he is sovereign. But there's this tenderness and sort of like long-sightedness to the potter in this scene in the, in the house here. The potter is aware of these blemishes in the clay and he's skillfully and patiently reshaping it. I emailed um, with a friend of mine last week who's a potter and I asked her about how she experiences this when she's actually working with clay, what, what it feels like when things go wrong uh, and she has to improvise. And uh, she emailed me back a, a great long email, but I'm going to just read a few pieces of it because I think they're really helpful here. She said this, The potter makes a pot with intention. As a student, it's easy to say that the clay wanted to be this or that, but as skill builds, it becomes a matter of this piece of clay will be this and will have this purpose. It's not necessarily a one-sided affair, though, more like a conversation. For every action I take with the clay, I have to then respond to the clay's reaction. If I pull up a wall and it's thinner than I'd like, then I need to be more gentle. If the wall's thicker, then my next action might be more forceful. If the pot gets marred at any point, I can usually go back and reshape it. But sometimes I just have to start over. And that's the amazing thing. At any point, it can be reshaped. I love that um, the artist has this uh, responsiveness to what's going on with the clay. It's not a um, just sort of one-sided process, but like she said, a conversation. Here's what I believe we're being invited to see at the potter's house. The character of God, which is at once powerful and patient. It's sovereign and sensitive. Those things exist together. And the context of that, when we get that, that those things all exist together, it makes all the difference. Because in that context, even his judgments, even the the hard things that have to happen can be seen as mercies. God's people, the ones Jeremiah lived among, they were going to see many hard things coming up. I mean, they will be rejected. They will end up being exiled. And yet, this image tells them that they can know that they'll never be discarded and thrown away by their God. And so, by way of application, some questions. What do we believe about God's interest and his willingness to work in our lives? Do we believe that he cares about our well-being? Or on the other side, 
Do we believe that he's capable of, of doing this reshaping work? I think those are, are really important questions for us to flesh out. Maybe tonight in community groups, think about that a little bit. Do you, do you believe that he cares enough to do something? Do you believe that he's capable enough to actually make any changes? And one other note here before we move on to the last point. I uh, really love how this scene shows us something about how God's ultimate purposes can happen in ways that are unexpected. They don't uh, take a straight line kind of a course, right? They, uh, they are roundabout sometimes. And it reminds me of William Cooper. He's a hymn writer that lived in the 18th century. Uh, we sing some of uh, the songs that he wrote here. Um, and he struggled with crippling depression his whole life. He, um, it, it completely knocked him out, sometimes for years at a time. He went to live with John Newton, uh, the, one, the man who wrote Amazing Grace. And uh, their friendship was a big part of why William Cooper was able to continue writing. Uh, but I think because of his uh, mental illness and all of the hardship that came with that, he gave us some of just the most rich and amazing songs uh, that the church has, including maybe the one that speaks to uh, the idea of God working in unusual circumstances. Uh, that's, that's the best. God moves in a mysterious way. And he, in that hymn, which you should go and read all the verses because they're all amazing, but he, he described it with lines like this, the bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. These roundabout ways of God working, we see it in the potter with this clay. It's not a, the clay comes up and it's perfect and on to the next one. It's a, it's a dance, it's a movement, it's a breaking and reshaping and all this stuff. It's beautiful. It's, uh, it should be encouraging to us as we think about God's work in our lives. And so uh, we've seen that an invitation um, to see this reality. And it's also an invitation, thirdly, to see a future. We're invited to see that, like I said, reality is messy and that um, we uh, have a God who's committed to reforming that messiness. Uh, I'm sorry, I just kind of reread what I was saying. Uh, yeah, so um, next we see what, what we will be, what can and will be when we submit to, this, to the hands of the potter. Uh, again, Eugene Peterson was really helpful to me in understanding this part of the passage. He, he points out that Jeremiah's life calling happens in chapter 1 of the book. And God first speaks to him and says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God's first word to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And the, the verb formed there is the word yetzar. And now as Jeremiah is, uh, is here getting this sort of image to set before the people, uh, an image to help them understand themselves and who God was, he stands in the house of the yetzar. It's the same word. There's probably no more meaningful word to Jeremiah than this one, this word that means shaped or formed. It's the context in which he understands everything about how God works, how he called him, Jeremiah, to um, his role and how God works among his people, that he is a shaper or a former, I would say, a creator and an artist. There's a fascinating art form that's been practiced in Japan since probably the 15th century 
called kintsugi. And it's this technique um, of repairing broken pottery with a lacquer or like kind of a glue that's mixed with uh, gold or silver or platinum, something like this. This is what it looks like. Um, you should look up, um, look up other examples. They're, they're really quite amazing. The important thing about this art form is that an integral part um, or a fundamental, I guess, part of, of the art form is that it treats all those cracks as part of the final product. In other words, the flaws, they're not hidden. They're made beautiful because of the hands of the skilled artist who, who does this. What an image for us to carry with us, right? This idea that God takes cracks and brokenness and actually makes them into something that's more beautiful because of it. It kind of reminds me of Scars, one of my absolute favorite pictures in the world, maybe top five pictures in the world, uh, is uh, of my one-year-old Watts and Elisa Windsor um, in Brenner Children's Hospital in the window uh, looking out over Winston-Salem and them reaching out to each other and touching each other's port scars uh, during their, each of their cancer treatments. Uh, a similar feeling of like, wow, what, what, um, what difficulty and pain, but what, um, what redemption in the midst of that. It's so beautiful. And so uh, the text goes on and says, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. When we think about God, the artist, holding us in his skilled hands, forming, shaping us, we can know that it's always for our good and for his glory. And I love how this idea pushes back against the cynicism in our culture, how it tells us no one is to be discarded. Um, ourselves or anyone else around us because of because Christ's ability to restore things and people it's beyond what we can imagine there's no one beyond the healing reach of Jesus and our task and calling is to be hopeful and to participate in that restoration work of God that's why we constantly talk about the renewal of things at Hope Chapel the cultural and the spiritual and the social renewal because we believe that we are to be a community that's called to be hopefully engaged in those areas. Uh, some of the musicians here were doing this Tom Petty uh, show on Thursday night, and I hope you can come out to it. Um, I don't know much about Tom Petty's spirituality, but after listening to his music a lot over the last while, I've been struck by this thread that runs through the lyrics that there is a deep longing in these songs. Uh, longing for freedom, from, for freedom from worries and burdens. Longing to rise above troubles and find peace. It's, bottom line, it's a longing for restoration. And I believe that's a universal longing. It's in all of us, and it's in everyone that we run into outside uh, the doors of this building. And the gospel says that there are no burdens so heavy and no troubles so great that the potter cannot mend and ultimately restore them. And the Bible's vision of restoration, it's totally holistic. It's every tear dried, every brokenness made whole, every loss restored. It's, it's, a, wonderful, um, it's a wonderful future 
and we can trust it. And so how does this help us to think about being a community that's for the, the flourishing of Greensboro? Well, as we seek to love the people of Greensboro, we, we first need to see them, to really see them. As Beekner says, I love this, not just their faces, but the life behind and within their faces. Then we must trust that the good and skillful hands of the potter, that they're more than capable of shaping every person. Let's be known as a community that celebrates restoration. In people fed, in friendships formed, in differences reconciled, in hospitality offered, in places made beautiful, in work that's done ethically, in cups of water offered. This is the good work that the church is called to do. So I started talking about uh, at the beginning how Christian Wyman's poem, how his care with uh, his care with the words, his attention to details, his vulnerability and hope, how they help me to see the world more clear, clearly. There's a passage in, in Scripture in the New Testament. Sorry, there's a passage of Scripture in the New Testament in Ephesians that actually uses the root word of of poem. It's a word poema to describe us. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship, his poema. The great artist's masterpiece is you. Remember when he created the first human beings, after creating all the rest of what he created, he said that they were very good. So we are works of art created by the great artist to go out and to bring his goodness and life into the world, to help show glimpses of the nature of his invisible kingdom, to reflect the creativity of our God. And of course, this will look different for all of us. It might look like bringing imagination and wonder into your parenting or finding creative solutions, like I mentioned before, in your work or helping to shape the culture of your workplace or your neighborhood or your school or making your home a welcoming place, cooking delicious food to share and enjoy, all of this pointing to the glory of God, the artist. And the reason why we can be confident that God um, will work his purposes through our messiness is because of the cross. Jesus closed the door on the possibility that the best option would be to throw out the clay on the cross. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have the resolution of every plot line. And as we come to the table in a minute, it is uh, in maybe our most uh, sort of tangible sense, an invitation, just like Jeremiah's invitation to come down to the potter's house. The table is an invitation to come and to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so uh, let's do that together after I pray. Lord, thank you uh, for, your, for your care and your tenderness toward us. Father, would you help us as a community to grow into our calling to be a people who uh, long for and hope, uh, hope toward the restoration of things, and that you would um, engage us and empower us to work for that as well. 
Thank you for making us both useful and beautiful and how you delight in us and call us to that work. Encourage us as we continue to worship this morning, Lord, and we, we pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen.